We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Hater Fachi Fachi, what's going on, brother? Hey, Alex is referencing Alex. Hey, you get a haircut? He goes, uh, yeah, I did it. Eh, not bad. You know, so, uh, but that's where that's well, from. But unnecessary I, shade, Fachi, really? Yeah, a little bit. But Everybody can have I the perfect say, Italian hair. Yeah, hey, I was blessed. But look, I got to <laughs> say, you and your, your Fachi O's, uh, you know, whatever you want to the graphic that you created had people buzzing. Everybody was messaging me, really thinking that I'm, putting cereal out there so some people i played with it and i said i can't really disclose any details but it's in the works but i got some people going on that but that was definitely a hit and i would say it was far more of a hit than last night's game against charlotte uh alex ah man what was that well that was the pacers what they look like without tyrese halliburton for the whole month of january i mean the fact that they were up by 20 points and blew that lead, Fachi, is just embarrassing. I honestly, I had a, a Zoom call that I had to take around 8 o'clock, uh, basically just, it's actually around 8.30, and I kind of turned the game off because I was like, you know what, there, it's been semi-close, like the Hornets had made it close, but I'm not like too worried about it. I saw we were up 9 in the fourth quarter. I said, okay, and then I see that we lose the game, and I'm like, what in the world just happened? And I was kind of monitoring the Bulls and the Sixers game as well because Chicago ended up getting a victory in double overtime against the the Sixers, who had just won eight in a row. So honestly, it was a very crushing loss for the Pacers if they're really trying to keep their playing hopes alive because Chicago, I said at the last episode, they've won four or five. Now they've won five or six. So they are playing terrific basketball right now, and I don't think they're going to be a big threat, but they're just they're playing good at the right time. They're a threat to the Pacers, and at this point, it felt like last night, 
it just really did feel like the nail in the coffin of now Chicago's up two and a half games on the Pacers for that final playing spot. There's only 10 games left. So to be trailing by two and a half games when you know Halliburton's hurt right now, Dorte's still hurt. You know, obviously Matherin came back, which was very surprising to me when we recorded that episode. It did not seem like he was going to play against the Hornets. And then he does. But that just shows that anything can happen in any instance. But it just felt like you could finally close the chapter on the Pacers making a run for that final playing spot uh, based off of Chicago's playing really good ball right now. And the Pacers, well, they're they're pretty banged up. Banged up. Their schedule's not really favorable for them either. So it's all about the last 10 games, just kind of experimenting with things. But, Pachi, we have Caitlin Cooper coming on today to talk with us about all things Pacers. And she's going to get into some of that kind of stuff with us talking about the different combinations we'd like to see towards the end of the season. You know, we share some of our thoughts on that as well. And then to close things out on the podcast, we are going a different direction than basketball. We're going food, Fachi. We are going to be doing a food draft. It's going to be four rounds. And we're going to basically just select food that we like to eat during uh, a Pacer game or during a sporting event. So like, what is your go-to food? And we're kind of building our menu by doing this. So, you know, I, I think it was a pretty fun exercise that we did, and I think fans are going to like it. A little bit different than Pacers talk, but, you know, it's nice to change things up a little bit. It is, and, and some of our mindsets right now might be, hey, I'm, I'm inching towards draft season. So, you know, I yeah. thought it was fun to have that draft. And I definitely want to hear from you guys as to which which party or which viewing event are you attending food-wise? Because some of these picks could have been a bit more personal as to, hey, maybe this is just me, or maybe these picks are more for the masses. So we can only determine that from the listeners. So please, everybody, weigh in of which party would you be attending? Absolutely. And then the last thing here, obviously, that our tournament contest, Vachi, where me and you both uh, selected our teams in the previous episode, I ended up filling the final 14 spots. Somebody messaged me after all of them were filled, and it was my man Peyton Mead. And I said, look, man, I said, we already filled them up. I said, but I'm going to go ahead and give you my spot. So you can be number wow, six. what a guy. So me and Peyton are together. We are one. So if, if Gonzaga wins the championship, Peyton will be getting a prize package from us. Now, Fachi, if somebody else messages me and says, hey, they want to be a part, are you willing to give up yours? Are you going to stay strong and keep yours by yourself? Hey, I'd like to pride myself on being a man of the people, so I will give up a share of my pick. Still don't know what this prize package is, yeah, but that's we haven't the talked mystery. about it yet. That's the no, mystery. we have not, but you know, we'll 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 make it something fun. And I, I think at this point, hey, there's one spot, technically half a spot left. So yeah, it's up for grabs right now, but it's gonna basically come down to one of the first people to listen to this episode. Yeah, so if you listen to this episode, you did not get involved in the tournament contest with us, go ahead and message me or Fachi, whichever one's quicker for you to get a hold of. Message us on Twitter and say, hey, I would like to be teamed up with Fachi to pick Xavier to win the whole thing. Now, if you think Xavier has zero chance and you're listening to this, hey, little chance is better than than no chance at all. So uh, this is a free shot. We're not going to put this on social media, so there's no like prompting people to do it. But if you're listening to this and you want to be involved in the, in the last spot of the tournament contest, Reach out to us. We'll put you with Team Fachi, rooting for Xavier to win it all. But with that being said, let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break. We're going to bring on the great Caitlin Cooper from Basketball. She wrote right after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody joining us second time, uh, second time in the last two months. This is great. Caitlin Cooper, Caitlin, basketball she wrote. How's everything going? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm always glad when I get a return invite because that means I wasn't a complete disaster. I didn't sync the podcast on the prior episode. I was ready and willing to come back with the invitation. So yeah, over the weekend, if people are patrons of Basketball Hero, I did wander around Indy for a bit with my sister and filmed us going to nicey treat at fishers so okay. if you want to watch me eat a popsicle you can go check <laughs> out that video yeah i saw the tweet that said you're a vlogger i didn't get a chance to see anything i was actually in milwaukee this weekend uh with my wife for a weekend getaway so i was actually there for the bucks game that was actually a fun pacers game to watch and then the last two besides that have been pretty pathetic and i know we're going to jump into that but i mean i said this today on the radio when i was asked about the game against the hornets i i Called it the worst loss of the season. I don't know. Was I uh, wrong in saying that, Caitlin, or is that a pretty accurate statement? I mean, it went awry for sure. I mean, I think Rick Carlisle mentioned it after the game and said they got worse quarter by quarter by quarter of the game, which is (laughs) fairly accurate. I mean, they went one of 11 over the last five minutes, lots of turnovers, giving up 35 points off of turnovers. I checked this morning, and that's the most points that a Hornets opponent has surrendered to the Hornets this year on points off turnovers. So that's not exactly company you want to be in. I don't think that's a record you necessarily want to set this season. But, I mean, I don't know. I guess I would probably lean toward the loss to Brooklyn when the Nets had eight players out, and they gave up, you know, however many offensive rebounds, because at least Tyrese was playing in that game. Like last night, I guess I adjust my expectations a bit, but it wasn't a pretty watch. We can say that. 
Now, I'm with you. I still think the Brooklyn loss takes the cake because, like, that was one that we actually thought we would kind of, you know, really beat down on Brooklyn. And instead, you talked about the offensive rebounds. I mean, I think it was like, it might have been, I don't want to say 28, but it was, but it was in the 20s. It was and in the high 20s that, for sure. Exactly. So that was a tough one. But with the Hornets, this is a team that you thought was almost kind of rolling over and dying. No LaMelo ball. You know, they trail by 21. They're down by, you know, nine with, with about under seven minutes to go. Uh, but I thought in the first quarter, Miles Turner, he had 15 points, nine of nine from the free throw line. What was it that you saw maybe afterwards in the final three quarters that really took Turner kind of out of the game a bit, only scoring five points over the last three quarters? Yes, I mean, there at the beginning, the Hornets were being pretty aggressive with Nemhard at the point of attack and putting both defenders on the ball. So then when they were running like stack action where Buddy's the back screener and Miles is the ball screener with Andrew and you have two on the ball, Andrew was doing a pretty good job of manipulating that and getting Turner on the slip. And to be quite frank, like the Hornets just were not covering him rolling to the basket off the roll. And then he was drawing the fouls when they were rotating over late. So that was making things pretty easy. I mean, I think offense came to the Pacers really easily over the first, especially six minutes of the game. And after halftime, like normally when we think of a team making an adjustment, it's normally like what the Pacers will do. Like, okay, we can't stop Luca, So now we need to start trapping him 75 feet from the basket. And we need to get more aggressive. The Hornets were kind of the reverse of that last night where they started really aggressive and then they tapered the coverage back. So they kind of went to drop coverage more in the fourth quarter, and then we're just guarding the pick-and-roll two-on-two with Nemhard and Miles and not really bringing necessarily people into tag all the time. So that made it a little bit harder to involve him. But, you know, I think Andrew probably wants some of those possessions back. I think he was, what, 0-4 over the last five minutes. He didn't have quite the same run of the offense as he did at the beginning of the game, but the coverage did change. So that was an alteration for him as well. Yeah, and, and speaking of, you know, another rookie, Benedict Mather, and he returned from his injury last night, and he had a pretty efficient night, but curious your thoughts on what he looked like returning, and uh, was it good, was it bad, was it anything that stood out to you that maybe, you know, he wasn't doing before? Right, so I mean, he's 7 to 10 from the field, which is pretty remarkable after sitting out, what was it, is he out like 10 total days, 11 days, I think, mm -hmm. so to not be very rusty at all, come in and hit some shots, I mean, I think... One thing that did stand out is he made a couple pull-up twos. So they were kind of in drop when he was coming off of DHOs and in ball screen coverage. And a lot of times with Matherin, you know, he kind of has the more efficient shot chart where he does either get to the rim or he takes the three. But if you get leveraged into those shots, you want him to be able to knock him down and hit him. And he made a couple of those last night, which was good to see. They ran like they're patented. It's kind of funny because, you know, the comment with LeBron over the summer that really blew up a lot more than I ever thought that it should have. But they love running that like LeBron-like action that the Cavs would run with LeBron and Kevin Love and that the Lakers run with LeBron and Anthony Davis were – Mathern will be at the elbow like they call it horns get but he'll be at the elbow get the ball there and then miles will come across from the other elbow and set a ball screen for him to get downhill with his left and that didn't miss a beat came right in got down sliding downhill and got to there so I mean the one possession that Andrew got the ball stripped late in the game somebody came off the corner against Ben Kelly Oubre I believe and and pounced Andrew from the strong side corner. So you can look at that one of two ways. Andrew probably needs to see that somebody's helping ball side and get the ball to Ben in that situation. He kind of likes the shot fake to the corner and then go up to the layup. So I think the Hornets were reading that. But on the flip side, Ben's shooting off the catch has been a little bit less accurate than I expected it to be this season. Like if there is something that you can kind of point out with his game, 
he can be a little bit hesitant and that's kind of, I think, depressed his shooting percentage on catch and shoot threes a bit. But overall, I mean, the Pacers and what happened over the back end of the game kind of spoiled what was a fairly triumphant, I think, return for him, especially with how quickly he came back and being able to step right back into being the instant type scorer that he's been for most part this season, especially as a starter too. You know, the way Matherin's ankle is basically touching the ground just under two weeks ago, I, I just was surprised to see him out there as soon as we did and also perform the way he did. But another player that I thought had a pretty good night, Isaiah Jackson. He was a plus 15 in this game. Now, we saw Ajax play for two minutes against Milwaukee and not play in the game against Philly. But you can see, you know, lately when he's been given 20 minutes or so, he's produced. He had a double-double last night, 12 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks. I mean, what have you seen from Isaiah that you've liked lately in extended action? I mean, last night was kind of crazy because how many offensive rebounds did he have? I think he had six or seven offensive rebounds. Like he was just gobbling everything up. So that was kind of a unique wrinkle too because they played Jalen and Ajax at the same time. The two of them mm-hmm. were on the floor quite a bit, which we haven't seen a lot of. But I mean, I think at the back end of last season and for this season that they've outscored opponents when both of them have been on the floor together. And I I liked some of what they did. I mean, we saw early, I want to say it was early in the fourth quarter, they went back to the 3-2 zone, which, you know, Alex being in Milwaukee, I'm sure remembers what the 3-2 zone looked like in Milwaukee. Um, I kind of wrongly assumed that they rolled that out because they haven't really played 3-2 in like three seasons, like consistently since under Nate McMillan, I think is the last time that was like their wrinkle zone wrinkle of choice. So they pull out the 3-2 zone against Giannis. And I kind of thought it was because of Giannis. Like if you can run 3-2 and take him out of the inverted pick and roll, especially without Brooke Lopez on the floor, you have a help defender on either side. That makes it a lot harder to do that. And it worked for a bit. And then Milwaukee just completely, you know, tore it up in the second half and they came out of it. But last night they were running it and they had Jalen Smith at the top of the 3-2 and Isaiah on the block. And that was kind of, I thought, a creative way to be able to defend with two bigs on the floor at once, similar to what, you know, Cleveland did last year when they were playing Laurie Markkinen and Evan Mobley up top of their 3-2 and Jared Allen. Like, I'm not comparing Jalen to uh, Evan Mobley (laughs) as a defender, but when you have more length up top of it, I thought it was a little bit more effective as a wrinkle. But yeah, I mean, I thought Isaiah and Jalen were both very active on the offensive glass. I thought that was a difference maker. And then they did some things to help them share space together. So you know, they would let Ajax set the ball screen and then they were using, you know, making Aaron look like he was the stack screener and then he'd go set a cross screen for Jalen to go to the post up. We saw Jalen actually do a couple like bully things with the ball and finish with his left. So um, I don't know. I'm cautiously optimistic about it, seeing if the two of them can maybe play a little bit more together over these last 10 games or so. Um, that way they can both be getting more experience instead of what's been, you know, like the rotating carousel of, okay, it's your turn tonight. Now it's your turn tonight. Um, I think they've handled it pretty professionally, but it isn't necessarily ideal. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've gone back and forth talking about those two guys and and who's really probably played better this season. And I know you could probably make a case for, you know, what stretch someone's been better than the other. I feel like Jalen the last couple of weeks has looked a little bit more consistently better than Isaiah Jackson. For me personally, I, I like the way that he played against Milwaukee. I thought he was really impactful in that game, especially with that second unit. You know, a couple of games before that, he played pretty well against Joel Embiid when Miles got in foul trouble. So just, just curious your thoughts on those two and who maybe has stood out to you more. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a tough case, and sometimes it has to do with matchups. I did like some of what Isaiah did up in Detroit, being back home. I thought he had some good standout moments in terms of flashing some things that we don't necessarily see all the time from him, like putting the ball down on the floor with his right and spinning out of a post-up and getting to the other side of the court. But in Jalen's case, like I think sometimes he can 
I'd like to be him to be a little bit more uh, decisive with what he wants to do when he catches the ball and has an open shot. Like, are you going to shoot a catch and shoot three? Or are you going to automatically go catch and drive and maybe be like what I said before, a little bit more deliberate with like a methodical back down rather than trying to beat a guy off the dribble, especially a guard, because he's not very explosive with his first step and then he's not very shifty either. So that was nice that he did that a couple times last night, but in Overall, in Jalen's case, what you said, I think, is pretty accurate. I think he is ahead of Isaiah Jackson in terms of, like, his positional awareness, especially defensively, where Isaiah can, like, you know, he's, what, top 10 in blocks per game? Like, he's pretty high up there given how many minutes he plays, which is not, you know, a lot. His block rate's pretty absurd, but, like, you can tell, like, a telltale sign that I would use for a big as a communicator, and this happened a couple times in the Pistons game, is if the on-ball defender is looking over their shoulder, to see where a screen is coming from or if there is a screen that's a pretty clear sign that the big isn't communicating to them like hey ice hey drop hey weak or which side that you want them to do it in and you can notice that with andrew on a number of occasions versus the difference when it's jalen or miles and they're immediately telling him it's blue he's very quick at flipping his hips and icing that screen and it doesn't really happen to the same degree with isaiah jackson in addition to the fact that he can be a little bit undersized so that is why i've been more curious all season to see him play more with you know jalen or miles so that he can be you know really unleashed in the weak side roamer role where he does pick up a lot of those weak side blocks rotating to the rim and still having another big out there in case he gets beat on a closeout when he has to rush back out to the lower usage wings or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I think next year, like if you're looking at the summer and it looks like the Pacers want to be competitive next year, I think I would be on your side of things that Jalen is a bit more polished at the current moment and probably a little bit more reliable and consistent in that role, especially defensively than what Isaiah has been, even though like the counting stats favor Isaiah in terms of his event creation defensively. But if it looks like they're going to be a little bit more patient, then I would probably lean towards Isaiah and seeing what else he can put together, given how tantalizing some of his athletic flashes can be at times. That's a great point. Both players are both still extremely young. I want to say Isaiah is 21. Jalen Smith, I believe just turned 23, uh, you know, over the weekend. So they still have a lot of room to grow, but one player who is also young and was coming off of, I'd say, arguably the the, the best two game stretch of his career, at least scoring wise, Aaron Neesmith. Neesmith was in foul trouble all of last game. It felt like it felt like he could just never really get it going. But you know, I've shared this stat a couple times. The Pacers are eleven and seven when he scores fourteen or more. They're twenty one and thirty three when he doesn't or he's not out there. So. What do you feel that this offseason Neesmith really needs to add to his game in order to, you know, carve out a solidified role? Because obviously the Pacers have those draft picks. Who knows what they'll be doing? Maybe they look to make a trade. What does he need to work on to establish himself with the Pacers next year? Gosh, I mean, everything he did in that Philadelphia game, like as bad as the overall game was for the Pacers, he really deserved his flowers for that one, right? I mean, especially Mm -hmm. like midway through the third quarter when they kind of made the adjustment and were like, okay, You know, we've been having Miles defend and beat and we've been crowding him and now we're just getting carved up with him making passes out to Maxi and other guys to knock down threes. So they take Aaron and tell him, you know, you're going to front him now because we can't keep bringing that many bodies to the ball every time he catches it. And like there were times where he was kind of a bug getting, you know, squashed off a windshield because Embiid's just so imposing with his frame. But I mean, he was a bug clinging to that windshield with all of his might. Like he was battling 
really hard. So in addition to that, just knocking down open shots. I mean, I think that's the most important thing for him is showing the consistency as a shooter. Cause I don't think he's ever going to be like fully involved. Like some of what we've seen lately from Wara, where they're letting Wara run some four or five pick and roll at the middle of the floor. I don't think you're probably going to see a lot of that from Aaron Neesmith in the same role. Um, last night, like when I talked about some of the turnovers, he had a turnover late in the third quarter where he was putting the ball on the floor with his left from the top of the key and then ended up getting it stripped. And that was with him playing the three because he was out there with Isaiah Jackson and Jalen. So like, I think sometimes it's a little bit easier for him to attack a closeout because he made that shift to the four and he can take a slower, big off the dribble better than what is the case for him at the two or the three spot. So I think you still want him to tighten up his handle, especially with his weak hand. I think that will help him immensely, especially if they come to the realization that like, hey, we need to upgrade the power forward spot. We're not going to ask you to make, play that makeshift role anymore. We want you to shift back up to to the wing, natural wing position. Um, I think that that will be big for him going forward because he does have a lot of east-west in his drives. He doesn't always take super direct lines. So those are kind of the things that I would be watching because I think mainly he's still going to be playing like outside of the action. So for him, you know, hitting open shots, being able to score directly at the basket out of closeouts, those are the most important things a lot of the time for him. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what they do next year with the four position and how they address that because obviously this makeshift lineup of four guards in the center is not going to be something that's going to happen long term. It's just you can't have that kind of success, I don't think, with this group right now specifically. But um, speaking of fours, though, we did get to see a little bit of O'Shea and uh, Wara together last night. I'm curious your thoughts on how those two look together out there and how big the Pacers actually kind of went for the first time in a while. Yeah, I mean, some of those lineups have been pretty wild, right? Like up in Detroit when we're seeing like James Johnson and Wara and, <laughs> and four like forward slash center people at the same time. Like we've gone from having four guards to having, you know, four bigs all on the floor at once. So like it did put them in some awkward spots a couple times where it's like, okay, now you're handing the ball off to Jalen Smith for a DHO because that's just who's standing over there. Or like O'Shea's setting the ghost screen to leak out or, you know, um, I think that I think it could work under the right circumstances. And that lineup was one of their like when I saw it come out, I'm like, oh, I don't exactly know how this is going to go. And then it was one of their more effective lineups last <laughs> night by the time the game was over. But um, I think more than anything, like I I've been enjoying watching the war experience of late. I just didn't expect to see them putting him in some of the spots that they've been putting him. Like I referenced before, like they run a play that they call chin four where they'll have TJ run off the guy at the elbow and then they have that guy at the elbow go set a ball screen for war. And he's like, in addition, it's not necessarily for him to score. It's for him to make a pass to the guy in the corner. And he's been making those passes pretty accurately. I think he recognizes reads as a connector a lot quicker than I expected him to. So seeing some other areas of his game come to light, it kind of makes me question. I had a question in the mailbag last month where somebody asked me something similar and said, you know, why do you think that the Pacers don't look for, um, O'Shea more to get O'Shea minutes given like they realized that he hadn't shot the ball well but like why doesn't he play given that at the time Nemhard and Wara hadn't shot the ball necessarily as well either I'm like well in part probably because O'Shea is an unrestricted free agent and they have you know probably longer term plans with Nemhard and Wara so I'll be interested to see how that shakes out over the summer but I think right now Wara can just do a few more things than O'Shea can so that's kind of where I'm at with it you know, staying on Nimhart, I mean, Alex and I, uh, on our last episode, we talked about, like, what is the ideal fit for him for next season? The last couple games when you didn't have Tyrese Halliburton and you didn't have Benick Mathen out there, Nimhart was on fire. 19 points per game on 51% shooting. You see Mathurin return, and it, it just felt like a very 
quiet game for Nimhart, especially early on. I want to say only had about two shot attempts by halftime. Uh, what do you see his ideal role next season? Obviously, he'd love to start, but is it what's maybe best for the team, or what do you think? Yes, I mean, I think last night some of the low shot volume was a product of the fact that the Hornets were putting two on the ball, and that was just him wanting to get the ball out of the traps and the fact that Miles had it going to the degree that he did, like keep feeding that guy. But also then the fact that he struggled in the way that he did down the stretch when they started defending it two on two in the drop. Um, I I wrote a thing, I think about a week ago, where I talked about some things that I had noticed that he had kind of been implementing that are hacks that Tyrese Halliburton uses at times against certain types of coverages. And he's creative enough. Like if you look in the numbers and the games that Tyrese hasn't played, and this was before the last couple games when I wrote the article, but he's averaging like 17 potential assists. Like that is an absurd number. And that's not all just like, okay, I'm swinging the ball around the perimeter and I'm just making a simple pass. Like he's created some advantages for the team, which makes you wonder like, can his scoring ever fully warrant you in lineups when Tyrese is out on the floor to be like, okay, we're going to take the ball out of the hands of one of the most creative passers in the NBA to give you more reps to do this. And there is probably an ideal world where that could happen, where, you know, Tyrese is capable of playing off the ball. He moves off the ball well enough that maybe he doesn't have to carry so much of a load. And Andrew can do some of that in addition to playing kind of the off ball wing role that he has, but he's going to have to evolve. And we did see some of that over the last five games, right? Where like in Milwaukee, he comes out after halftime and is a lot more aggressive pushing the ball to get to the rim where there are occasions where I feel there are times where he has angles to the basket and he kind of settles for, you know, a fade away or playing off of contact in that mid range area instead. And this is something that he's kind of talked about too. So um, I'm not opposed to a world where they continue to start him next year, depending upon what they do in the draft, because I do think it's helpful with Tyrese that Andrew takes the top assignments and Tyrese doesn't have to do it. I think that there is a world where he can lessen some of his burden. And then maybe depending upon what happens with TJ, you use Andrew Nemhard and you stagger the two of them and Andrew's running bench offense, because you do want to fully develop and max out what Andrew is capable of and I think I've seen enough of him as a passer overall to think that there's more for him to give there in a point guard role so it does make you wonder about the long term I mean obviously he's never gonna surpass uh Halliburton in the pecking order but how do you find more point guard reps for him all the time as long as TJ McConnell's on the roster as well makes it a little bit more challenging but I'm not opposed to him remaining as the starter next year you just might want to stagger it out so that he and Tyrese aren't necessarily playing as many minutes together yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's pretty obvious that McConnell is highly favored by Rick Carlisle. Number one, how much he's played him this year. Number two, nobody else was on that plane ride uh, with <laughs> Carlisle. So I, I guess for me, my first question, number one, would you be willing to go on a small plane like that with just four people and Rick Carlisle being the pilot? Would you trust Rick to get you there safely? I go ahead and answer that one first. That's why I'm very afraid of small planes in general. So yeah, I don't same. know. I don't know if it would matter who the pilot was. To be completely <laughs> honest. Yeah, I was like, man, that's that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty gutsy right there by TJ to do that. I mean, he's a gutsy player, so maybe that's a guts uh, risk he was willing to take. You know, riding with Rick. But at the same time, it's like now you know why these guys are so close. Like, you know, it, it would be shocking to me if TJ wasn't a part of this team's future just because of how much he means to the locker room. But you know, you got other veterans on this team, too, with James Johnson, George Hill. I mean, do you think that those two roles are are too redundant to keep them both for next season? Or do you think that there's other players that they might need to look to move to allow them to stay on here and be those veteran presence in the locker room? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that that is going to depend on how much you believe in developing Andrew into the point guard role. I mean, it seems like they valued letting him see and get more of those reps. I mean, the fact that Tyrese didn't hurt his ankle until after the two games against Detroit Mm -hmm. and Tyrese didn't play. And in part, they talked about wanting to see Andrew play more of the, you know, the point role. So if that's something that they want to do moving forward, then maybe you do uh, make a tough decision there at a certain point in time. and, And you rely on what James Johnson and George Hill are doing, given that you already have a guy that like, it's, it's easier to tell George Hill, like when he came over in the trade and he chose the fact that like, Hey, we can trade you to a contender or you can stay here and be a veteran. And he chose and was like, I want to stay here and be a veteran. I value being in Indiana versus looking at TJ McConnell. If it would get to that point sometime down the road and being like, Hey, you're going to be the third string point guard now, even though you're still capable of doing this and have had some really tremendous games for us this year, like what he did in Milwaukee when he had 25 points in the first half. Um, The fact that he has been a more willing shooter over the back end of the season, I think has been, you know, a good trend for him as well. I think that that's a little bit harder to do and not because I think that TJ would, you know, be a problem, but it's just, it's a, it's just a different conversation than the one that they had with George Hill already this season. But yeah, I mean, it is, it is hard not to look ahead down the road because it's not a situation to the degree that like miles and Sabonis were, cause they're not the same, you know, caliber of players, but where you could kind of look ahead and be like, okay, you know, start playing them together because we need to rule this out. We need to finally have all the information in front of us and see like, is that something that's going to work and then make a choice. So I don't know if it will get to that point, but it is something to look ahead at. Especially during the stretch with, you know, no Tyrese Halber, no Benedict Matherin, it feels like just awful timing to not have Chris Duarte out there. If Duarte is not to return, I mean, what do you think that that could mean for you know his future here where there's other young players that they're getting reps for? Chris already felt like kind of the odd man out at times. I mean, do you think that has any impact on what the Pacers do in this offseason as other guys are getting looks? Or, you know, is this a, hey, you know what, this is something that his name is probably going to be coming up in trade rumors over the next uh, year or so. Yeah, I mean, it's not helpful either way, right? Because if you are thinking that like, hey, he might be the odd man out here, we're not going to be able to fully, you know, develop into what he can be because we don't have necessarily the opportunity because of other guys we have here, other guys we're going to draft. Like him being out of the lineup and being injured as much as he has certainly isn't helping his trade value. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, this season as a whole is probably... It's a catch-22, right? Because, like, last year, I mean, we talked about on our podcast that if you're going to go full rebuild mode, it probably would have been worth it to consider at the trade deadline moving Chris because he was playing to the degree that he was. He's on a rookie stale contract. He is older, and there was probably a contender who might have valued adding him. And now, you know, you go into the second season, he struggled at the beginning of the year in terms of, you know, adjusting to the way that different teams are guarding him. He's just, every time he's made some progress, he's had another injury setback. And then it takes him time to get back and get into full full shape and form so I to answer your question I won't be surprised if we hear stuff about him over the summer he kind of feels like a prime candidate there just because of what I said I think when I was on the last podcast that like you know even if they were to move Buddy which I don't necessarily think is going to happen but even if they moved Buddy or decided Buddy's not going to be a starter you're going to start Benedict Matherin right mm-hmm. so like you know Chris is 26 if you don't see him as a starter and he's going to be hard capped as a bench player and he hasn't really provided a lot of reason this year to be like oh yeah you know, he's going to be the starter next to Tyrese Halliburton, and then it might be worth it to move on. Like, I wasn't completely opposed to the general idea um, that was broached or floated out there about, you know, the Obi Toppin, Chris Duarte um, potentiality, just because, you know, Obi Toppin at least would have probably had more of an opportunity to play. Yeah, no, and I, and I agree with that. I think that it comes to a point 
where you just have such a log jam at the guard position, you have to find a balance for the roster. So uh, personally for me, though, I was on the radio today and I was asked this question, and I'm curious your thoughts. They said, what do you think the Pacers need to do to improve this roster moving forward? And I said, well, there's a lot of ways I can go with this, but it was more so like what's the one area they need to focus on, not necessarily like a player, but maybe more so uh, an area that they need to improve upon. Well, it's I think you got to look at the defensive end and in part because of what's been happening with Tyrese in a lot of games before he went out and got injured is how much we were seeing him being targeted by teams. So if you are running lineups where Tyrese and Buddy and Ben are on the floor at the same time in closing time, which we've seen, and I think the numbers are fairly positive for them, but it's being propped up by like an otherworldly offensive rating. Um, the defense is quite poor. I want to say they're average. They're giving up like 119 points per 100 when the three of them are on the floor at the same time um, to the point where, you know, what seems va- valid in those situations is like pre-switching Buddy into the action so Tyrese doesn't have to do it. And then you have Benedict as like a low man and it's like, oh, you know, what in the world are they going to do at this point? Yeah. Um, so finding somebody who can be more of like a positionalist defender that you can plug in in a lot of different spots, I think is pretty important. And then asking the question that you just said before, when you were talking about, you know, I don't think four guard lineups are going to be in the long term for this. I think that we can all kind of look at that and think that that was Rick Carlisle finding a fix and finding a temporary solution to get the most out of this team as he could, rather than the Pacers being like, oh, we've seen all the other forms of basketball and playing eight guys a night that are six, five and under is the way. Like, I don't know that they necessarily necessarily see that as their long-term solution as it just being something that worked out for a while for them especially when they won you know like eight of ten games or whatever that was but I do wonder sometimes when I'm watching what they're doing defensively like what they end up felt like they had to do with Embiid when they put Aaron Neesmith on Embiid and let them front him is is that what they plan on doing like do they plan on using miles turner more of what we've seen this year where he's being assigned to lower usage wings and is in this roamer role and do they need to have a four who's going to be able to take on centers and i hate to like just throw out a name because i don't even know how realistic it is but like when i'm watching games that toronto is playing there are games where you know they're still they're not putting Jakob Pertl on Anthony Davis they're not putting Jakob Pertl on Jokic they're putting OG on Anobi on Jokic so if that's something you're seeing can you find that type of a player who can kind of upgrade what Aaron Neesmith is trying his darndest to do but isn't fully capable of doing to the level that somebody like OG on Anobi is able to do so um that's kind of like I, I know you said not about a name, but like just to find a solution defensively where you can move somebody around. Mm-hmm. I don't know what their general vision is on that end of the floor because Rick and, and Ronald Nord have been pretty good, I think, this season of making them as competitive as they can be defensively. I just don't know. Is that the scheme that they generally want to play where they're doing lots of this peel switching to cover for guys getting beat on the perimeter and they're doing lots of cross matching so they can keep miles low and around the basket? Or would they do something else if they had different personnel? I, I don't fully know. I think that they coach to the personnel more. But overall, you know, you either have to do one of two things. You have to find somebody who's a better rebounder or you have to solve some of the defensive issues so you're not in rotation as much and giving up as much of the rebounding. But I'm very curious to know what you said on the radio to the same question. Yeah, I mean, uh, quickly, Fachi, I'll just say I, I just said we got to get better defensively. I mean, I just kind of threw out the same thing I said earlier about the four guards with Miles. I said it's worked a little bit. You know, you've seen development from Nimhard and Neesmith in that position. But Buddy Hill, Tyrese, they're not good defenders. 
and they're not going to get any better, I don't think. I mean, maybe Tyrese can. I don't think Buddy's going to get any better. He's been an okay team defender, and we've seen him at times. I mean, he was one that guarded Porzingis, I think, against the Wizards. So, you know, it's just like he was kind of put in that Neesmith role where he was guarding the big and Miles was playing the roamer. So I said that. I said they got to get better rebounding-wise. They just get killed on the glass too often to, to win a lot of games, in my personal opinion. And I didn't say a name, but I did say they got to find a true four. I mean, that's been a you know that's been a talking point for really since TJ Warren went down with the injury. Just needing that guy that can play the three and the four. And I said even if they just find one, I think Nee Smith is good enough to be the starting three and what he's role wise that he's fit in. But at the same time, like you mentioned, you still got Nimhard. Does he start with Tyrese? What do you do with Matherin? What what happens there? I just feel like there's such a logjam right now. Like trying to find the best lineup is going to be difficult, and it and it might not even include Matherin in the starting lineup. But I I just I can't envision that long term. So it's that's why it makes more sense to me for Nimhard to kind of go to the bench and kind of play a secondary role. But at the same time, defensively, is Matherin going to be able to handle the de- defensive load that that Nimhard's been handling? I don't think right now we can say that he can. So it's I mean Carlisle's got his work cut out for him in terms of trying to find the right five. I think moving forward. Yeah, I mean, Caitlin, here's where we're at. We got 10 games left. The Pacers are 6-6, six and six, I believe, from, uh, from the All-Star break, uh, since All-Star break. But all, some of those losses have been very competitive. Yet you got guys that do not want to miss games. Buddy Heald has not missed a game. Benedict Mathurin racing to come back. You know Halliburton's itching to come back. So it feels like this could be different than last year when the Pacers ended the season on a 10-game losing streak. But in your mind, what would be a success to see over the last 10 games, whether it's you know, pairings, whether it's, uh, you know, testing out different lineups, player development, what would be a success for the remaining 10 games in your mind? Wow, that's a very uh, complicated question that I should probably have given more thought to before <laughs> I had, had hopped on this microphone. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we can all pretty much tell at this point that they don't see the play-in tournament as an imperative. I mean, they wouldn't have done what they did up in Detroit if they did. I mean, and last night, you know, they they I think that Rick did mention in the post game that it was a missed opportunity given that Chicago ended up beating Philadelphia in double overtime and they squandered a twenty one point lead against the Charlotte Hornets. But, you know, I don't think that they're necessarily gonna be making a major push there and it would be hard for them to do so, even if that was, you know, entirely the case. So I guess like what you said, like I think it needs to be a fact finding mission, right? You need to know what combinations are work. I mean, that's why I said I'm not opposed to seeing more of Isaiah Jackson, whether he's playing next to Jalen Smith or Miles Turner, um, fully evaluating what you think that you have in both of them and knowing what you want to do moving forward. Um, obviously, Daniel Tice isn't still taking minutes from them as he was, I think, the last time when I was on here. So that's kind of resolved itself. But, you know, in Ben's case, if he's going to be starting a little bit more, as he did last night, he got the nod, which hasn't always been the case this year. Like, you know, I, I watch for him on the defensive end, surely there's a lot of uh, issues for him at times over on that end of the floor, especially with some of his screen navigation and what his tendencies can be there. In addition to some of his off ball recognition, but also like his tendency is to catch and drive. So will he be more willing to fluidly take some of the catch and shoot shots? And can that correct some of what, you know, has been a lower shooting percentage, like I mentioned there before from him. That's a great opportunity if he's feeling good. And it seemed like he did last night with the ankle situation. 
the Tyrese thing, it's not about development. It's just I am keeping a watchful eye defensively on some of the things that they can try there. Because even if you do add another defender, there, like if you're targeting him and putting him into action like what Luca was doing so often, can he get better at hedge and recover so you can keep the matchup that you want? There's times where he battles and he's pretty good at that. And there's other times where it's like a quick wave and the guy just turns the corner anyways. So that is a long-term thing that they're going to have to consider even, you know, how brilliant he's been on the offensive end of the floor. Sometimes that can overshadow some of the stuff that happens um, defensively and other things that they can test out. I mean, I wrote a piece about them doing some of the three-quarter court trapping, and typically they're only doing that because, like, uh-oh, like May Day, we need to try something else. But it was kind of interesting to watch them do that against Luka in terms of the fact of how much the Mavs kind of deferred to him and weren't necessarily ready to initiate things. So, you know, is that something that you could push the button on more? Um, I'm kind of a person who likes to test out different basketball theories. So if I were the Pacers, I would kind of like to see and use these 10 games to see, like, is that a viable approach to playing defense? Is that something we could do? more frequently next year. So um, those types of things, but you know, what, what, what is on you guys' list? Bachi, go ahead. I mean, I'm wondering, it, it, and it's not like this is a, a big thing, but we talked about how, yeah, you know, this is Matherin's, I believe, seventh start on the season. Is this now him in the starting lineup for a good? I still want to see him play with Halliburton more. Yeah. Obviously Halliburton needs to return in order for that to happen, but that's what you really feel like if this team is going to ever reach their full potential, Matherin and Halliburton need to be a dynamic duo. I look forward to seeing that. And then for the other things, I just want to get that final verdict. Is Chris Duarte someone of the future here, or has he potentially played his last game as a Pacer? Things like Daniel Tice. I mean, we're not going to see him again, but has he played his last game as a Pacer? Because there is still cleaning up that, that we have to do over here. And then that's kind of where I'm at is I'm very happy that Matherin's back because I felt like the remaining 10, 11 games was going to be very vital for him to, you know, continue to take that next step in player development. So that that's kind of where I'm at. I don't think that they're going to really become this uh, juggernaut defensively in the remaining 10 games. I think it's probably going to be pretty ugly. But to Alex's point, that is where we need to start to see that shift of, hey, can guys continuously buy in on the defensive end? Because how many times can you give up 140-plus points to Philadelphia in regulation and think that you're ever going to win or give up 60% from the field. So seeing guys buy in defensively and Matherin, hopefully, you know, meshing with Halliburton even more over the last 10 games is what I want to see. Alex? Yeah, no, I mean, and kind of similar to that, I would like to see Buddy Hill off the bench and see what he can do as the bench score because we haven't seen that since he's been in Indiana. And I know that he actually talked about not loving it in Sacramento, but I think he was just pretty much hating his life in Sacramento. Uh, whether he was starting or coming off the bench because he's been pretty open about it. So I would just kind of like to see what maybe him and TJ look like together off the bench and try to figure out what that bench core might look like next year. Obviously, you know, you got to throw in draft picks. You never have the same roster return, but get your core guys that you want to see long-term here, maybe like your core eight and try to see what that looks like. I would love to see Nimhard, Mather, and Halliburton together in the starting lineup with Smith and Miles, maybe just kind of see what that looks like just for a small sample size because – I think right now it's just roster combinations and just seeing what different lineups make sense. Uh, schematically, I think they could try some different things too. It's just how do they look playing zone with this group? How does, you know, Matherin look maybe playing the Buddy Hilbert where he's guarding the Porzingis type player? Does that work? You know, I'm all for just experimenting. I think that we talked about it earlier. Caitlin brought up uh, Jordan Mora being more of like a playmaker, a little bit giving him an opportunity to do that. Maybe 
maybe let Mathern be more of a playmaker because we really have not seen that from him. We've seen mostly just actions to get him the ball scoring, maybe allow him to kind of be the primary ball handler in a pick and roll situation where he's looking to facilitate more than just score. So there's a handful of different things I'd like to see, but there's we're running out of time to be honest with you. So uh, that, that's actually pretty interesting. Cause like, right with five minutes, I want to say there was like right under six minutes to play. Rick Carlisle called a timeout last night and TJ didn't seem thrilled with the idea that a timeout was called and kind of, you know, didn't slam the ball, but put the ball down pretty hard on the floor. And then Buddy didn't necessarily seem thrilled that a timeout was called either. And Rick made some substitutions. And when they came out, they ran a set for what you just said, that they cleared out and, and got Matherin in isolation yeah. on the left side of the floor, which I'm like, we haven't seen a lot of that. And like, it is a little bit contrary to what the Pacers' identity has been in terms of letting them kind of play in the flow. And, you know, TJ clearly wanted to press the ball. I think he thought they had an advantage for like a two-side fast break, but... You know, they actually literally called the timeout and deliberately ran a play to get Mathern in isolation. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that was we'll something that we that. saw. That's something that we did see. Yeah, I mean, more of that, though. Just, I mean, because if he can be a scorer like that, too, like, I just want to see it more. Like, I don't want to see him constantly, which he's not, he doesn't do it all the time, but there's been stretches out there when he's with that starting lineup where he kind of feels like he's just sitting in the corner, not doing a whole lot. And, you know, that isn't always, you know, his fault I think sometimes it's the way the offense is ran but it's not always Rick's fault either he could do more stuff but it just feels like okay when Buddy's out there they run a lot of actions for Buddy with Tyrese and stuff like that when Matherin's out there with him uh, when Matherin's with the second unit obviously he's the the primary guy usually so it's just a different role for him and I kind of want to just see how he adjusts and and is more consistent with that is he able to still be as impactful if he's not like the primary score with that starting unit I mean I think that's something we really haven't seen a ton of this year. Yeah, and I think some yeah. of the difference with him and Buddy... Oh, sorry. Did you want to no. hop in? No, no, no. Um, I think some of the difference between him and Buddy, too, is like some of the chemistry between Buddy and Tyrese is a little bit different, but it's also just really instinctual from Buddy. Like, not all of that is always, like, sets that Rick's drawing up. It's Buddy knowing, like, hey... I'm going to go move in front of the ball and that's going to create a double gap for Tyrese to drive into. It's going to be wider and then I'm going to get the ball on a kick or if they get a switch, he immediately goes and ghost screens the ball. Like that isn't necessarily something that Ben readily does. And even like how often they run Spain action with Buddy as the back screener. Like I legitimately think that Buddy might be one of the smartest back screeners in Spain action in the NBA. Like mm -hmm. at some point in time, I might have to just like write an article where all I do is just like, <laughs> point out how intuitive Buddy is on which side of the floor he leaks out on, what he does based on the coverage. He's just very intelligent in that regard. So I think that's in part why they've kept with Buddy and Tyrese as much as they have, because that yeah. isn't necessarily something that Ben's doing yet. But yeah, I mean, I think in the long term, I think we all know that eventually, like what you said, the future is Tyrese and Ben. So, you know, when they get to that, at what point they do. I mean, the usage swings pretty dramatic too. I think Ben's usage is like 28% when Tyrese isn't on the floor versus like 20 when he is. And that's not because, you know, Tyrese is being a ball hog or something. It's just a different run of the offense yeah. um, when Ben's out there. But yeah, sorry. I totally interrupted there. <laughs> no, you didn't. Uh, when you're talking about the future for Matherin, one thing that I think it's kind of great is Damian Lillard recently went back on JJ Reddick's podcast. He talked about the entitlement in the NBA right now that guys are just kind of handed things. That, hey, it's your team now. That has not been the case for Ben McMatherin. We've seen Carlisle, A, have him come off the bench pretty much all year, uh, all but seven games so far. And then at times, 
you know, we've been saying, what is he doing only playing 13 minutes or 20 minutes? So how do you, uh, you know, how do you view Rick's approach of really holding Matherin accountable and that if he's a not buying in on defensive end, he might not play the minutes that he deserves based on what he's doing offensively, but really just kind of keeping him in check as a rookie being what's best for him instead of maybe, you know, hey, the Pacers can score a few more points with him out there. Okay, so can I go on like a mini rant about this just Do a it. little bit? So yeah, he only plays 13 minutes in that game against Miami, which I think his other lowest minute total was the prior game against Miami. And like I wrote about this in depth on like the very first or second article when I started the Patreon. But here's the thing. It, when when he was playing in Miami, he made like three egregious defensive errors in the span of like less than five minutes when he finally got pulled after the third one. And it wasn't like hey, this is a rookie mistake. He didn't just know where he was supposed to be. It's like, okay, I got totally beat down the floor in transition. I played Jimmy Butler and just gave him his left hand as if we were going to be icing a screen that never came. I fell asleep when the guy behind me cut and did a basket cut, and then I pointed at other people. So they pulled him out, and then they pulled him out again before the start of the fourth quarter because he kind of has a tendency at times where, like, just because the plays run for you doesn't mean the shot has to be for you. And somebody came off the strong side corner and he didn't make a play. And in that particular game, Chris was doing a fairly decent job of moving the ball. And then also like Tyrese was trying to get the Tyler hero matchup because he didn't want to be going against bam. And every time he got Tyler hero in space, the heat were doubling him and Tyler hero was guarding Andrew Nemhard. So Andrew Nemhard could slip into space then. And because he is a playmaker, he could pass it out to other people. If that's Benedict Matherin, like, Obviously, there are many things that Benedict Matherin does better than Andrew Nemhard. Making a pass after slipping into space is not one of them. So strategically, it just made logical sense that they were playing the lineups that they were. Like, I think, I have not asked Rick Carlisle this question, but I think he understands and knows how important Benedict Matherin is to the future of the team. (laughs) And sometimes this seems to get lost in translation. And like, the other thing about it is, is what you just said about the accountability with Ben. I think that you can point to that up and down the entirety of the roster. Like, I have literally seen Rick Carlisle pull Tyrese Halliburton out of games after he's made two or three mistakes on defense. That happened in a game against the Heat. They ran the the Heat ran two back to back split cut actions with Bam out of bio. Tyrese did not bump the cutter on either one. Rick Carlisle called like a rage timeout, and after the timeout was over, Tyrese Halliburton didn't go in, and that's your franchise player. So yeah. like I think that they've been doing that up and down the roster, and people pointed to this last night when Andrew got to keep playing when he was like 0 of four and had the foul against Gordon Hayward. I'm like, okay, but this is a different situation. Tyrese wasn't available. It's a position of need. TJ had just played X however many minutes. Like, somebody had to be in there and running the offense. And also, he just has a higher defensive floor right now. Like, Mm -hmm. he doesn't make those types of mistakes, so it's easier to rely on him in those situations. But I personally think the accountability has been there for everyone, so that will end my rant. No, and I agree with you, because I was actually at the second game of the season when they played the Spurs in that terrible game the beginning of the year where the Pacers, like, came back in the fourth quarter and almost had a chance to win it. And I was there, and I remember talking to Chris Denary after the game, and there was this play, I think, where, like, Buddy just threw a terrible inbounds pass to Tyrese and it got stolen or was, like, thrown out of bounds or something stupid. And Buddy was trying to explain it to Rick Carlisle. Rick Carlisle did the classic wave his hand at him and didn't even look at him as the timeout was happening. And so uh, Denary was like, oh, man, Carlisle was pissed. (laughs) I was like, yeah, you could see it on his face, man. He did not want to hear Buddy Hield's excuse for what just happened there. It was just bad basketball. And it was so early in the season, too. I was like, man, this is going to be a rough year. And I'm glad they turned it around because those first two games did not seem very promising. 
for the rest of the year. But uh, I, I don't have any other questions right now to ask Caitlin, unless there's anything that we didn't bring up that you were itching to talk about. I'm going to leave the floor open for you. Uh, if not, we'll get into our draft. No, I'm I'm prepared. I have a big board ready. I I'm ready for this food draft. Yeah. So I I, I messaged Caitlin earlier. I was like, you know what? I said I know you used to do food takes with Mark. Now Mark is just outlandish with his food takes. We all know that. So uh, he's not here to defend himself, and I apologize. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you guys have probably seen enough of them on Twitter. But we decided. I decided maybe it'd be kind of fun to do like a, you know, not like a finger food type thing, but foods you would have at a party if you're watching a sporting event. Obviously, the NCAA tournament's been going on. Playoffs are just around the corner. So I thought we could do uh, a draft of that. Now, Caitlin, I'll, since you're our guest, I'll let you decide. Do you want the first, second, or third pick? I'll take the first pick. Okay, we'll do a snake draft. Foch, you go second. I'll I'll do the honors of going third, unless you want to go second, Foch. Or uh, unless you want to go third and me go second. I'll go second. You go second? Okay, I'll go last. That's fine. And we'll do a snake draft. We're going to do four rounds. So, uh, Caitlin, kick us off however you want to uh, start this thing. This was a very tough one I was preparing my board because I really like to win. I'm very competitive. <laughs> but at the same time, I like to be true to myself. But I feel like if I'm true to myself, I'm not going to win. But <laughs> this one, I think, is pretty easy at number one. I'm going to get this if I'm at a game in person, and I also eat it at home when I'm watching a game. Number one, the goat game watching snack, popcorn. Popcorn. Okay. That is that is a solid. Definitely a favorite of my wife's. Um, she, she loves that. Uh, I'm going to go with, and I'm going I'm to stay true to myself too, because this is not probably going to be a popular pick, but it's my favorite game day snack. I'm always going with it. And it's either buffalo chicken dip or buffalo chicken anything. I need it. I want it. I'm sticking with it. So buffalo chicken dip, Fachi? Yeah, that's that was probably been one of my first picks too. That was a tough one. I mean, I love a good dip, especially with it. some tortilla chips. I mean, it, it's fire. Uh, so I, I respect that. The popcorn for me, Caitlin, I'll be honest, I like popcorn. I do, but it really gets stuck in my teeth, and I hate that feeling of of that. So usually, if I'm at a Pacer game, I will get a Ben's pretzel. I'm a big pretzel fan, but I'm not going to pick that one for my first one. I got to go with the classic here. I'm going to go with chicken wings. I that was my love. Debate. I love a good chicken wing, and I'm not a boneless guy. I like traditional wings. It is a little messy, but you just can't go wrong with wings. I, I think wings are a classic staple, so I'll do that. I guess I got back-to-back -back picks here. I could go kind of boring here and pick pizza, but I'm, I'm going to save that for one of you guys if you want to. I'm going to go uh, a little different here. I'm going to go those ham and cheese sliders on the Hawaiian bread. I don't know if you guys have ever had those before, but I think one... everyone in Indiana has had those. Like, I don't know those if this is going to resonate outside of Indiana, but I think it will here. <laughs> it is. It is so good to be like getting those Hawaiian, that sweet bread, that sweet Hawaiian bread with the ham and the little Dijon mustard that you put on it with the cheese. You put those in the oven. I mean, put a little butter on those, uh, those rolls on top. It's a little messy. It gets on your face. It's kind of greasy, but you know, I'm already getting greasy with my wings. Might as well get greasy with my ham and cheese. So that's where I'm going with this one. Okay, so I'm up, right? Uh, Fachi's back up oh. on the snake. Oh, no, it's snake draft. Oh, it's snake oh, draft. oh yeah. Yes. Okay. And, and and for the record, when we say slot, are we covering sliders in general? Because No, you can pick cheeseburger sliders. That's fine if you want to do that. Because there, there's a lot of good sliders out there. And... I specifically said ham and cheese, so you're yeah, good. Yeah, okay. You can't go wrong with that. Um, I am going to say, I'm just going to go with old-fashioned, and this is a staple in pretty much every household. I would say chips and salsa. 
I mean, you can't go wrong with it. it it's it could be a little bit boring, but you know what you're going to get <laughs> out of it. And if you got a group of people, they're not going to say, mm, "I don't really like that." Going two dips. Going two dips. That's that's two dips. But here's what I gotta say: the buffalo chicken dip was more up my alley. That might not be a favorite for everybody. So I get it. People like what? That's your top pick. But chips and (laughs) salsa, I felt like you could universally please the room with that. So that's what I'm sticking. All right. I can't. I'm. I'm not touching anything buffalo. Like I'm pretty perfectly fine that you See, guys took yeah. that. It's good. It's. It's going to be popular. Like people yeah. are going to like that you picked it. But I. I can't. <laughs> well, you get back to back picks here, Caitlin. So you're on the clock. Oh, I have to be ready for two. Well, I'm. I'm prepared to take guacamole as okay. the next one. I'm a big fan of guacamole. It's a lot of work to to compose it, which is a slight drawback, but there's a high reward there. Okay. So. Might have to wait for your draft pick. You have to wait for it to develop for a few years, but when it does, you're gonna be excited. Yeah. Um, and I think the next one, I'm just gonna go for the crowd appeal and I'm just gonna say pizza. Yeah. I think that, I would have went with it if it was still there on the board. So uh good good pick there. And and you know you're gonna have people just just grabbing for a slice. It'll be gone soon enough. So popular pick. Yeah, that was a, that's one I could have taken earlier. I everybody loves pizza. I mean let me ask you this, Caitlin, since we didn't specify the type of pizza, what is your go-to piece of pizza? Oh, it's not going to be popular. Um, I actually like – it's not going to be. Um, I actually like like Neapolitan style, like actually like Italian pizza style okay. that's, that's the thin, thin crust with not tons of cheese. I'm more about the toppings than I am the cheese and everything else. What's so your go-to Chicago, toppings? Chicago style is pure evil. Um, <laughs> I, just, I like I, it. I, I have not had it yet. But and I know that that sounds, you know, pretty criminal, but I just I don't know. I don't see what the hype's all about. I don't. I know That's I good. can't knock it till I try it, but I just did. I like all sorts of pizzas. So I'm, I like the kind Caitlin likes. I like New York style. I like Chicago. Detroit style is good. I'm, it's really hard for me to like go wrong with pizza. It's pretty basic. Now, some people don't like the heavy sauce, which is cool. I understand that because it does taste like spaghetti or like some kind of lasagna or something. But I'm I'm a fan of all of it. I just. Italian food is right up my alley. So, uh, Fachi, you're missing out, not even trying. And I mean, I think you just got to try it at least one time. Chicago well, pizza is a, a staple in America. I will, but it's also where are you going to try it? I'd love to try it in Chicago. I'm not going to try <laughs> Chicago style in, you know, in New York. In, yeah, New York or Virginia or something like that. So, um, you know, that definitely is, I'll, I'll wait for the right time to try it. Okay. You don't need to. It's an abomination. Just leave it off the <laughs> I list. I might just take your word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How'd them popsicles taste, Fachi? I Sadly, I have not gotten around. Alex messaged I set me you up. <laughs> he did set me up, but he loves to do that. But he was like, you better buy a box of those popsicles before Caitlin comes on. And I'm like, dude, I just moved over the weekend. <laughs> like, I don't have time for the popsicles, but I will get around to it. That, I promise you. Oh, man. All right, Fachi, you're up next for your next pick. Oh, man, this is where it gets tough because do I overdo it on the dip? I I, I very well could. <laughs> I'm doing a trio sampler here. You're going to do queso? The dip guy, and I think I'm going with queso. Oh, my right? God. <laughs> this, is, this is the most boring list, Fachi. Yep, and you know what? I might not win it, but I'm going <laughs> to stand by what I like on a game day you know, spread and some good queso. Sign me up for that. Man, you just got like all your little dips out there. You just got your bag of tortilla chips to dip in all of it. 
and I'm a big, and maybe this is unpopular, I'm a big hint of lime guy. I, I love the hint of lime chips. It's different, not for everybody, but you're never going to get a complaint out of me with that. Caitlin, no, do you have a hint? Hint of lime is is top notch. I fully Underrated. support the hint of lime pick. All right, so we'll do. I'll do that. I'll put that on there, Flashy. Hint of lime. Chips <laughs> I was about to pizza. say, Alex, have you ever had the hint of lime? I have. I'm not a big lime fan. I'll be honest okay. with you. I I usually... They go. They go well with the guacamole, especially if it's like cilantro with lime in the guacamole. It just enhances yeah. the flavor. I can. I can see that. Yeah. Usually, I don't know why, but I've been into the blue corn tortilla chips from uh, Tostitos. They're the simply organic ones. They're massive. But I don't know. I really like them. That's got... a sturdy chip. It is. It's very. And if you're thick. gonna have three dips, you probably need a sturdy <laughs> yeah, chip. Yeah, you and, do. And, and that's a good point because the hint of lime they break. They you do. Know, I, I, you're if you're scooping buffalo chicken, that chip's gonna snap. So that that yeah. I can tell you firsthand. Very wait, similar. Wait, 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 wait. We're eating hint of lime with buffalo chicken. Oh yes. Oh, that's we gross. Are. No. I am a wild man, <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's it's a good combination. And and I'm gonna be honest while we're over here, buffalo chicken is like it's my uh, I don't want to say my weakness, but like I'll eat it till I'm profusely sweating because I don't mind if it's hot. I'll suffer through it. Few things are worth suffering for for me. Buffalo chicken, I'll sweat for that. Wow. Okay, Fachi. You're just oh, yeah. We're breaking all kind of walls today. here. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So for my third pick in the third round, I'm going to go with street tacos. I uh, I love a good street taco. They're not super big. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys like, like carnitas or anything like that, but I love some good carnitas. Not a big ground beef fan with my tacos. I'm more of a chicken or a pork person with my tacos. But uh, this is where I do like lime is when you squeeze fresh lime on some carnitas with some Definitely. cilantro and some cheese. That's pretty good. I'm not a big pico fan, I'll be honest with you. Don't like chunky tomatoes. I've never been a big like tomato on my tacos or burger fan, but I do like tomato sauce, which is very weird, I think, that I don't like tomatoes by themselves. But I guess I might have just been scarred from eating fast food tomatoes, and those are pretty nasty. Don't you feel as I'm though like, you'd be willing to pay like 15 cents more for your fast food item if it meant you were going to get a higher quality tomato? Probably, but I've would. never liked it. That's the thing. <laughs> like I, but if it was a high quality one, I always think that they're like at most places I would pay a, like, you know, a quarter more if it meant I was going to get a tomato that wasn't pink and slimy. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, I get you. And those things are nasty pink. Like they're so light. Uh, that's, that's the thing here. So, all right, for my final pick, this is tough. I'm wondering if I should go something sweet here because I don't have anything sweet on my thing. So I'm torn between two, uh, but one that I love, I'm just going to do it. I'm going with brownie bites. I love brownies. I think uh, a brownie bite is perfect because it's not too much, not too heavy. You can eat a couple of them. You don't feel terrible about yourself, but if you get a big old brownie, it's almost too much. So for my last pick, I'm going brownie bites. Okay. All right. So, that means I'm up for my final pick, right? Yeah, that that's it. Anybody have any thoughts on my brownie bites take? Is it a bad one or a good one? Well, I appreciate that it's it's handheld. Like I don't need a dessert where I'm having to look down with a fork and a spoon yes. while I'm trying oh, to yeah. be watching mm -hmm. a game. So yeah. Now, are the brownie bites crispy on the edges? Because I like the corner brownie where I get the total edge. We can we can make them however you want to make sure that it's the best brownie bite you get. So uh we'll i make... accept it then okay so we'll we'll do some that have the the nice soft center and some with a little bit crispy to them 
we'll have a nice variety for everybody there uh, for the for the brownie bites. Fachi, go ahead and take us away with. Are your you going to pick yogurt dip and fruit? And <laughs> no, no. I, at this point, I think I got to back tray. off the dips. Um, so I'm thinking at this point, I, I don't want to rip off Alex pick, but Alex's pick. But let's go with maybe like a soft homemade cookie. Anything? Which one? Uh, chocolate chip. We'll okay, chocolate that chip. was my other option. To be okay. honest with you, good. And just so you know, I I was in a hard debate for my top pick between chicken wings or buffalo chicken dip. So yeah. you stole my pick. It's only right <laughs> I take yours in the end. Well, I mean, I gave it to you because I could have had it. So you didn't steal it. I mean, you're I just like you the Warriors. You're wings. like the Warriors taking Moses Moody when you wanted uh when you wanted Christy Duarte. So <laughs> yep, sorry yep. about fair that. Enough, fair enough. <laughs> All right, Caitlin, last pick. What what do we got here? Okay, so my last pick is actually my first pick, but I knew you guys weren't going to pick it, so I Ooh. left it sit into the final round. Oh, wow. My last pick, the top food to eat while watching a game, the top food to eat ever, Outshine Popsicles. I knew this was coming. Write it down. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> we should have stole that from you. Oh, yeah. man, I was I was wondering if that was coming or not. I, when I said something sweet, I saw the smile on Caitlin's face, and I was like, is she getting a little nervous right now? Or is she thinking, yeah, I'm thinking I need something sweet too. Just but... got the steal of the draft, the last pick. <laughs> no, that, so... that was a good point because there's only oh so much dip one person could eat before they, they need to have a little bit of variety. So the shift into something sweet, it, it's definitely a good offset on uh, the other categories that we had. Yeah, so let me uh, – let me... go I ahead. I feel pretty good about the balance here. I'm wondering how people will vote. If they're going to think about this as a – offering a buffet that we're giving people or if they're just going to look at it and be like you know i love all those dips yeah i don't know caitlin if you had to pick one that's not yours if you could go to one person's party based on the food where would you go oh i'm going to yours like i i don't i have mean things to say about buffalo chicken dips that i'm not going to share so (laughs) why what's wrong especially if they're on well i genuinely like i had a bad experience with buffalo flavor once where i was at a pizza buffet and they didn't label what the pizza was Mm. so when you're expecting something else and then you get buffalo in your mouth i literally thought i was eating hot vomit for a brief second I wasn't sure what was oh happening, and then to know that it's being served up on a hint of lime chip. Oh, oh yes, of, it is. I have a lot of concerns. Oh, uh, man. Trust me. This is great I, analysis. I, 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 I get that <laughs> feedback. We had a Super Bowl party a couple of years ago, and people were like, Buffalo Chicken did and hint of lime. Like, you've gone mad. But, but you know, I, I love it. It's it's what my wife, if we're ever having like a host of people for game day, the Buffalo Chicken will be there. And the go-to chip, I mean, I almost feel like I'm signed by Hint of Lime. I'm always letting people know, you got to give it a shot. And don't be surprised if it's actually not on the chip rack because it could be sold out. That's so. that's very fair. And, in, and by comparison, if you look at the four things I have, I'm kind of like Snoopy's Thanksgiving right now. I mean, I'm <laughs> offering people popcorn and popsicles. So Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, but you got pizza, which is a staple. So And I got guacamole. I think those are two pretty high-value picks. I so. do. They, they are. Those two are, are strong contenders. All right, Fach, I'll ask you the same question. Whose party are you going to based on the food? I mean, Wings was almost my top pick, so All that right. alone is definitely appealing. And when Alex and I, uh, you know, attended uh, Pacers Nuggets earlier, we got Wings. I mean, it, it's just, it kind of draws you to the, like, you know what? And did you end up going with Ben's Pretzel or no? I didn't pick Ben's I Pretzel. I brought it up as, as, yeah. a, as a Soft Pretzel was on my list. It was on mine. I had Pretzel Bites with beer cheese as well. Uh, I know that's a very popular one. I had Pigs in a Blanket 
on mine as well. Those are good if you get the little crescent rolls or croissant rolls, whatever you call them, from Pillsbury. Uh, some other honorable mentions. I guess this would be a good time to share these. Mozzarella sticks, potato yeah, skins. That would that would have been good. I'm kind of embarrassed that nachos weren't picked. I, I well, wanted you guys to. picked every I was, chip. I was yeah. so deep in like, the Come chips. on. If I went nachos, you should have just went all in with your nachos, Fachi, instead of your chocolate chip cookies. That would have been the ultimate pick. Yeah, when you got me going when you said something sweet, I was like, "Yeah, you know what? I got to appeal to the masses over here. Like, you can only you know dip oh so much before you're like, I think I got a stomachache. But a good cookie afterwards, you know that 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 could definitely help you out. What kind of nachos are we talking, Caitlin? (laughs) I love seafood nachos. I love them with shrimp. I've never had that. You've never had yeah, shrimp I, on a nacho? I, have I haven't not. either. I, I no, love I'm usually, like, I'm crab, usually, shrimp, I lobster. make these fairly often. So, well, then you're gonna have to you make go. an article about that. Do a vlog, please, <laughs> on your seafood. I'm a very super serious vlogger now. People will be able to tell that when they watch the video. They're gonna be able uh, to see how serious I am about this. Yeah, I guess I should pick mine out of YouTube because you guys both pick my, pick me. But I, I should go ahead and give my pick. This is tough. Unlike Caitlin, I love buffalo chicken dip. Uh, we have it frequently at our house. Um, I love chips and salsa. I love queso, and I love chocolate. Ooh. I love everything at Fachi's party. Caitlin, though, has pizza, and pizza is my probably my second favorite food on this list. Uh, you know, I do like guy trying popsicles, and I will say I'm not as I'm not that big of a popsicle person, but I do like them, and. I like guacamole and chips. I've I've warmed up to guacamole more than I used to. I'm a very picky eater. Uh, guacamole has tastes a lot better to me recently. But I I think I got to go Fachi just because I like everything more in terms of ranking. If I was ranking the eight of them, pizza would be number one. But I think two through five would be for Fachi. Uh, chocolate chip cookies, that's like my go-to spot. You got to have milk with it. But I am a little bit worried that I'm only going to have henna lime chips, Fachi. That's my biggest concern. Uh it's really I mean, tough. We usually have a backup bag for the people that are really <laughs> complaining, but at the same everybody, point, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty much after a couple of them, like this hint of lime is a little strong. But I'm gonna save you the kernels stuck in, in, in yeah, that's the true. Heat, so I'll save you for those, and you know what? We're we're gonna we're gonna have dip galore. So, what kind of salsa was, are we talking? What kind of salsa are we talking? I love mango salsa. Has anyone ever okay. had that? Yes, I, mango salsa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So just just bought that yesterday, last night. You know, just moved into place. How to get the hint of lime? How to get the mango salsa? You know, the but hint of lime that, pairs come. really well with mango salsa. Yeah, very That's, well. Those enhance so. each other. Those are complimentary. It's, That's it's, what we hope Benedict and Tyrese exactly. are. They start <laughs> playing more minutes. And that's uh, what I'm hoping when I put them side by side. This is the new starting lineup. So, uh, you know. Awesome stuff. Well, Caitlin, go ahead and let people know where they can find you out on social media and promote your Patreon and let everybody know what, what you got going on over there. Right. So my handle is at C2 underscore Cooper. Patreon is patreon.com slash basketball. She wrote, like I said, you can watch a documentary, which is I actually didn't even reveal in there that I had planned to meet somebody at Nicey Treat. Um, I was going to meet a guest. I didn't give the guest enough notice to come and meet me there for the video. So I decided to randomly interview a customer about the Pacers and ask them. And as it turned out, it was actually the person who I ran into is actually Matt Dreary, who's the host of Locked on Lions and oh, does okay. all this Pistons radio stuff. <laughs> Neither of us knew who the other person was. So I'm just wow. standing there on camera <laughs> talking to him about Tyrese Halliburton. So if people want to watch that, <laughs> you can go. That's that's behind the paywall. But I am 
in process of something about turnovers that I'm hoping to get up by the next day or two. And then what's next on my docket is the mailbag. So if people want to ask me questions, that's what I'll be doing for the March episode. Assuming that people liked listening to me answer these questions, I mean. (laughs) Something tells me that they did. So it's definitely been a pleasure having you back on the show. We really appreciate you. You bring unbelievable insight that you just can't get anywhere else. So thanks for coming back on and uh, everybody make sure you check out some of that new content that she just mentioned. Thanks for having me guys. Absolutely. We'll do it again next month. Sound good? Yeah, I'll be back. All right, cool. And are awesome. we uh are we gonna be able to talk college prospects next month? Let's go ahead and tease that. I mean, I, I'm not starting draft content until these games are over. When okay. these games are over, then Fair I'm enough. gonna start Fair thinking enough. about okay, it. Okay, so maybe April or May we'll we'll be on the lookout for that. We might know more by May where the paces are picking, so it might make more sense to to wait till May to dive into that. But we're gonna get Caitlin's thoughts on the prospects so you don't have to just hear me and Fachi ramble about the same ten guys every episode. So with that being said, Caitlin, thanks so much. We will talk to you next month. My pleasure. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Mm-hmm.